Well-Informed, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, before I give you the rundown on today's program, let's thank a couple of our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my locally owned full-service grocery store in the heart of Des Moines. Gateway's Cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast and brunch on the weekends. And thanks also to Note Jazz and Cabaret, featuring both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. All right, later in the program today, we're going to be talking with a former Exxon engineer, a guy who worked for the company for over a decade, who is now retired from Exxon in his mid-40s and a climate activist. We'll also be talking with uh, Charles Goldman. We're going to get his analysis of Rush Limbaugh's legacy. We'll also talk with Charles about the mess in Texas and uh, what, what angles we need to th- be thinking about regarding that, um, that sorry situation. And then Kathy Burns is going to join us, and we're going to talk about our February Garden Q&A. Okay, hey, so um, I'd like to welcome Joel Curtinitis to the program. Uh, Joel is a columnist and a Trump voter, and a guy I've known for a while. Joel, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate it. Did you support uh, Trump in 2016? I did not. I was pretty vocal in opposing him at the time. And why? Um, I mean, his record didn't show that he was going to govern conservatively at all. He'd been uh, in middle of the road to arguably quite left on a number of especially social issues. Um, and so there, there just wasn't the record there to support that he would, would have a conservative administration. That was that was the main knock against him at the time. And then plus, you know, uh, there's a, a sense of general buffoonery around the way that he uh, behaved himself. I was I was you know supporting Ted Cruz at the time, and he was out there trying to implicate Ted's dad in the uh, Kennedy assassination. So there, there's a, there's a level of uh, overall crazy that went with that campaign too. Right. And That's speaking of, and speaking of crazy, Ted Cruz is uh, suddenly in a whole lot of trouble. No. I, so, so I've got two different hats that I can wear on this, right? My, my political analysis hat says that, you know, obviously this was an unforced error from an optics perspective. Uh, but from a real perspective, I've, I've had a lifetime's worth of politicians making photo ops out of tragedies. I don't think that I need to see any more. So I understand the optics of it. I know it's going to be bad for fundraising and campaigning. Uh, but I also feel like there's, there's so much exploitation of things like that that goes on that I don't really care if yeah. a politician and a bunch of photographers show up. So, uh, so what brought you around to voting for uh, Donald Trump in 2020? So there were two, two major factors. One of them I already alluded to a little bit. He ended up um, governing much more conservatively than, than folks thought. Um, so that was, a, that was a bit of a surprise to many of us in that, um, you know, the court justices that he appointed, the um, movements he made on the, on the fronts of, you know, pro-life and in some ways immigration, although I you know, not on party line as far as that goes, but um, but there's there's been several other areas. Um, I loved that he got us uh, out of a lot of the overseas uh, confrontations and conflicts that have been going on. Um, so there were a number of reasons where he he pleasantly surprised us, and uh, some of that I think had to do with the influences that became a prominent part of his uh, administration. But the by far the larger part I think was a general fear uh, of what we would term the radical left that arose partway through the administration. I mean, watching the whole Russia thing unfold uh, for a number of years was was one thing. But for me, the turning point was really the Kavanaugh hearing, um, where it it seemed like uh, it seemed like there was a point of no return there. 
where it seemed like throughout that hearing there was a, a scorched earth approach that really made um, really drew some pretty hard lines in the sand. Um, where you know we went from well we can support or or not support Trump based on what he's doing at the moment to well this seems like a you know a, a zero sum affair where now voting for Trump becomes a defensive measure. And so the again a vote for Trump a defensive measure but one with. Initially, there was no enthusiasm, but uh, it sounds like even your enthusiasm in 2020 was somewhat tempered. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't I would never regard Donald Trump as a, you know, a principal defender of a conservative worldview. But I don't think the man even knows what it means for the most part. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's the ultimate pragmatist. I think he's the ultimate uh, showboat. And I think there's there's ways in which those things can benefit the office of the presidency. Uh, but there's ways in which they're a liability too, and and that was on full display the whole time. I mean, the the constant mess of his personnel and cabinet, the constant turnover, the embarrassing Twitter account, you know, every everything along the way that made it so difficult. And I think it goes to show um, how desperate the right was for some some sense of what they would call genuine leadership that they would accept something as uh, I would call disappointing. Uh, as Donald Trump, uh, just to get away from the the corporate Mitch McConnells of the world. That's not a great endorsement. Uh, vote Trump a disappointment. <laughs> oh no, 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 absolutely not. Um, I think I could make the same case on the left, Lou. After watching, you know, the Biden and, and Sanders uh, back and forth, so I, I don't think I don't think your side's necessarily forward to that concept either. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I know you said you voted for Democrats before, I believe. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you mind? Is it okay to ask who? Yeah, I voted for Rob Sand okay. uh, here in Iowa. And, and why, 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 why was that? Well, you know, a big part of it was that Rob actually went to the trouble to to meet with me and talk through some things to find areas of agreement and disagreement, and um, and be willing to honestly rationalize his opposition. And that's something that I've found to be pretty rare uh, in today's political climate: is people willing to sit down with you and say, "Look, I disagree with you on these things. I agree with you on these ones, but in in no event am I going to make you a villain." Okay. That's what you're trying to do too. Yeah, and would you say that's rare on both sides of the political aisle? Oh yeah, I mean mm-hmm. the, the the problem of polarization has has consumed us at this point. So what, um, what do you in some cases? What do you see as the underlying problems of the Democratic Party? I, I think the, the the biggest one is this bent, the recent bent toward authoritarianism. I mean, when I was growing up, the 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 uh, the left was the the tolerance and liberalism party. And I don't see that anymore. Now I see an open embrace of censorship, of free speech, um, open willingness to to persecute and go after people who disagree with you, whether it be at their on their social media presence, at their jobs. I mean, there there's really a troubling authoritarian bent, and and it's in general across the left, but it's it's uh, very very visible on the critical uh, critical theory. Um, devotees i guess i would say now the uh the muppets just got canceled how do you feel about that i didn't hear about that oh well, the muppets are you serious? Uh, yes yes the muppets were canceled well can't <laughs> that wasn't the exact word used but that's essentially what happened disney came out and said oops sorry uh these, these caricatures were were really offensive and hurtful but we're going to keep them up there just as a historical reminder of all the wrong things we've done so, something like that oh goodness goodness <laughs> sakes i i hadn't heard about that one but it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. And, and the problem with it is now I understand, you know, time moves on, culture moves on, you, you make changes. But the the unwillingness, the, I, I guess the memory holding of our past is, is a real problem. It's a real concern because that's how we learn. 
right? And so removing these things, whether positive or negative, it doesn't really matter. If you remove these things, you, re you remove the context for where we're at currently in society. Um, and, and I feel like there's a definite mm. danger in that. I mean, obviously, the old admonition that those who forget history are doing to repeat it. Um, and that, that goes true for, for entertainment as well. I don't know why they consider themselves excluded from that. So do you, do you feel that the media and academia and even Hollywood, for that matter, are, are biased against the right? Uh, for the most part, yes. I mean, it's it's individual, right? You'll you'll have different. I just heard about a, um, I think an ammo company down in Texas that's now refusing to sell the Biden voters. So there there will be individuals and and certain businesses that do that. But if you look at the overall power structures in society right now, if it's Hollywood, academia, the media, um, and the largest corporations, it used to be that Republicans were the party of big business. But thanks to Silicon Valley, that's not the that's not the case anymore. So our, Google execs came out after 2016 and, and basically had a brief session because Trump was elected and said they wouldn't let it happen again. So, but, I mean, to me, the media, academia, corporate America, for sure, they're not so much biased against the right or for the left. They're biased. Their bias is in favor of the status quo. Would you agree? I, I don't know about I, I guess I, I, I'm not sure, because some of the, the things that they're incorporating through, again, you know, uh, the. Uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives, which I think are in a lot of ways a Trojan horse for, for critical race theory, um, those are not status quo things. They're things that, that are radical and new and, and would have been unheard of 15 to 20 years ago. So I don't know that that really helps from a corporate perspective. Um, I, there are some cases where surely the status quo, I mean, I don't know many companies that will vote against their own financial self-interest, but, <laughs> right. uh, but I think they're weighing, they're, there's an interconnection, right? Because what, what a company makes its decisions based on is a lot of what's popular um, and what they consider to be popular with, with people. And so when you'll see messaging and marketing trends, I mean, look at all the woke commercials that came out in the last few years that would never have been considered in 2001. Um, so they're, they're making those decisions based on it, in most cases anyway, not based on executive leadership having a sudden change of heart, but because they have very involved marketing departments mm. who go out and do research. Mm. And they're peddling what they think will sell. And right now, that's woke leftism. Do you, do you feel the 2020 presidential election was stolen? No, I don't. Okay, so Trump was off uh, off base on that. Yeah, and, and there's there's... Um, there's never a shortage of inflammatory rhetoric to keep your side aggrieved, and that's true of the right and the left. Um, there, there's always somebody. Somebody's always cheating. Somebody's always. This is this is how you get your fundraising emails out. And I'm of not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's common. And of course, it was it was the the contention that the election was stolen was the foundation for the rally uh, on January 6th that led to the riot at the U.S. Capitol. How do you feel about what happened to the U.S. Capitol that day? It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. I. I it was horrible. It was it was uh, tragic in in every way, and I have seen a lot of uh, a lot of the response to that being very effective. I hope everybody involved in it is prosecuted. And some some folks on the right are comparing it to kind of American equivalent of what happened with the Reichstag burning in uh, in right. Nazi Germany that uh, kind of allowed allowed uh, civil rights and um, and freedom of expression and speech to be you know squelched while the Nazis took over. Is that is that going too far? I the, the comparison's not identical, but there's definitely there's definitely similar elements there. And if you look at the reactions since that, uh, you've you've had uh, John Brennan out there calling out right leaning uh, Americans and groups, even some of them that have no demonst no demonstrable link at all 
with the January 6th events, like libertarians, which of which I am one, mm. um, calling us out as as suspected domestic terrorists. You've got proposed restrictions on free speech and, and proposed Internet censorship controls in Congress right now as a reaction to January 6th, because um, it's it's been laid at the feet of social media uh, that was used in some cases to organize these. Um, you've got the National Guard situation where there, there was uh, reports of coming through military members' uh, personal political beliefs to see if they were allowed to serve in D.C. at the time. And so it, there's, there's some real, real troubling uh, reactions to it. And, and that was part of the tragedy. I mean, obviously, there's, there's the human element and the, the human toll of it that's, that's the worst. But beyond that, there's also the, the uh, political ramifications of it and its effect on freedom, because every time you have a tragedy, there are people willing to leverage that to, to reduce freedom and rights. Hey, one more question about the January 6th riot. What about uh, QAnon and its role uh, in, in, in that riot? I, I, being a millennial, um, I'm quite familiar with internet hoaxes, and QAnon has all the, all the signs of an internet hoax. It, it really does. Uh, I, I feel sorry for people who have been um, swept away by it. Uh, it's, it's a, it has all the classic marks of a conspiracy theory, which is it's loose enough and vague enough to let you believe whatever you want to about it, and it's also uh, nebulous enough that any event can confirm your bias. And so it, it's just... It's there's conspiracy theories uh, across the political spectrum. This is one that mm. the right's vulnerable to, and I think I think it's important to note around the conspiracy theory bent, which I would attribute in part to a postmodern culture that's left behind objective truths. I think it's a natural result that you're going to be more gullible when it comes to um, conspiracy theory um, conspiracy theories that are being but, popularized. But that said, both sides right now are so there's so much division that both sides are looking for a silver bullet. And there's this notion that if we could just get rid of the bad guys at the top, everything would be fixed, whether that bad guy is Donald Trump, whether it's Mitch McConnell, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, whoever. Um, it, it just, if there's there's got to be some evil cabal of, of corrupt, power-hungry people that are keeping all the rest of us down. When, in fact, that's really not the case. I mean, there, there's a cultural conflict and a cultural separation that's going on between normal people. And, and this, you know, as we've drawn apart from each other uh, through reliance on social media and are forgetting person-to-person interactions and common ground and grace between people. Uh, the more that happens, the more the more we're unwilling to engage at that level, the more we want it to be true that there's just one, you know, one big swing for the fences and that's going to take care of everything and fix America again. Uh, were there any Democrats running for president in 2020 you could have voted for if they'd won the primary? Yeah, I, I liked Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, I thought she was I thought she was on point on a number of things. Um, Obviously, she's you know crossed the aisle far enough where I'm not going to agree with her on on a whole lot of policy items. But uh, one, I, I love that she's very much in the Ron Paul uh, vein of things when it comes to reducing our overseas footprint and getting us out of foreign wars. That's something that almost nobody else touched on or campaigned on. And two, I have not seen that authoritarian streak in her where she campaigned on political retribution effectively. Right. So I think that's that was that was terrific. Joel, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, any last words for us? Um, no, I, I just appreciate you putting these these segments together. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for understanding and common ground that we we've got to pull back together as a country to the place where we can we can tolerate each other's views without perceiving them as a threat to our way of life. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, hope you uh, do well during the rest of the uh, uh, the real winter we're having this year, 
And uh, folks, we will be back in just a minute. Um, we're going to be talking with a former Exxon engineer, Dar Lon Chang, who is now uh, focused on his work and now focusing on climate action. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-built services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Broadcasting from the heart of America's heartland. Hey, thanks to our local nonprofits that help make this program possible. Thanks to Bold Iowa, building urban rural coalitions to address climate change, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get more information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, later in the program, again, Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to talk about Rush Limbaugh's legacy. We're going to talk about what has transpired in Texas. And then Kathy Burns is going to join, join us. We're going to do our February Garden Q&A. But I'm delighted to welcome to the program Darlon Cheng. He was recently featured in an Inside Climate News story. The story says, and I quote, Darlon had an interest in alternative energy since his college days and thought science and technology would blaze a path towards a future without fossil fuels. Exxon, he believed, could help lead the way. When he could, Chang tried to nudge the company along in small ways, holding out the hope that change would come. Darlon, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Ed. And you worked with Exxon for 60, 16 years, rather? Yes, from 2003 to 2019. And apparently your efforts to nudge the company along didn't go real well. No, no, there, there wasn't uh, an organized effort, unfortunately. They kept this individual atomized. I had no idea that there are a lot of my colleagues who felt the same with me until after the article, and they contacted me after they read the article. Oh, so you got, you got a lot of feedback afterwards. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, good. And... Uh, I guess that was kind of my next question. I was wondering whether you felt like you were a lone wolf or if uh, other people at Exxon and maybe some of the other big oil corporations had also felt similarly that their their work was not leading toward the better planet that uh, maybe that a lot of people envision. Yeah, I was very frustrated that uh, some of the work that I worked on had uh, dual use. It could also be used for geothermal and carbon 
carbon capture and sequestration, such as uh, increasing our drilling rates. Hmm. Uh, but it was never applied to those applications. It all was just focused on unlocking unconventionals. And uh, there are only a handful of people that I felt comfortable talking with about uh, climate change. Uh, and uh, when I spoke up at uh, town halls and at uh, employee forums, uh, only a handful would come and say that they agreed with me. They just feared that uh, they'd be punished if they spoke out, spoke uh, out as well. Uh-huh. Now, uh, would you say Exxon is uh, unique in terms of um, its unwillingness to adapt, to change, to recognize the climate crisis? Or is this a problem across the industry? Uh, I think it's a problem across the industry. I've heard from others who worked at other companies saying that although their company might have been better about uh, um, listening to people and saying that they agreed and they thought it was a great idea, they wouldn't follow through. So the end result was mostly the same throughout the industry. And in my company, there was uh, explicit uh, consequences for you, especially in the performance ranking, if you spoke out about climate change too much. Have you had any pushback uh, since retiring, since speaking out from Exxon? Well, uh, there was some when uh, I interviewed with the Wall Street Journal last year. Uh, <laughs> my colleague Enrique Rosero, he went to the Wall Street Journal to report that he had been pushed out of the company because he spoke out about climate change. He was in 2018 near the top of the performance rankings, and in 2019, after he spoke out, they pushed him to the bottom. And he went to the Wall Street Journal. I told my side of the story. It turned out that in that story, there were about eight paragraphes of ExxonMobil speak and only two paragraphs about Enrique. Originally, there were 20 more of us that the Wall Street Journal interviewed, and uh, none of us got featured in the article. Enrique just got two paragraphs to ExxonMobil's eight. Wow. Wall Street Journal. Well, maybe no surprise? Uh, no surprise in retrospect, but yeah. the reporter did, did all he could to keep our stories in there. Huh. Okay. But it was, a man, it was an editorial decision to minimize the... The uh, the critical commentary, Employee. yeah. Yes, to, to minimize the employee contributions. Mm. Ouch. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you and your family, uh, you, you were in Houston when you were working with Exxon. You've now moved to uh, a, a net zero community in Colorado. That's interesting. Yes, it's called Geos and uh, can be found online at Discover, Discover Geos. Um, and uh, it's located in Arvado, which is a western suburb of Denver, uh, and uh, our community is built of all net-zero homes, so we generate as much electricity as our houses use. Very good. And is that from solar and wind and other, other sources? or? Uh, no, it's from the solar panels on our roof that okay. generates the electricity that runs our geothermal heat pumps. Ah. So the geothermal heat pumps, they... Uh, they act as a well that's at about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, that keeps our house warm during the winter and cool during the uh, summer. And it all runs off of electricity from our, our solar panels. How many families live in the community? 30. Okay. Is that, you know, and, and this model is something that I think a lot of people are increasingly interested in. I know in Iowa we've had several, uh, several efforts at uh, creating net zero or other, other, other types of alternative um, living arrangements. Uh, one is in Fairfield, the, uh, the um, Abundance Eco Village. Perhaps you've heard of that. But, uh, no, I haven't. Same idea, trying to, trying to develop a, 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 a community that is as uh, free of fossil fuel emission, emissions as possible. So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, do you find, um, and, you, and I, I, know you, I know from reading the story that you've become more involved in the community and its efforts to promote uh, climate action. Are you seeing the greater interest in 
that type of um, of neighborhood model? Yes, uh, we do see a lot of interest from people who uh, visit our communities. We we had tours pretty regularly before the uh, COVID pandemic, and we also had tours for uh, city council members and uh, city of Arvada Sustainability Committee members. So we've welcomed people to come and uh, find out about our neighborhood. We also have a monthly goat moving. So uh, we have many visitors from uh, nearby towns who come to find out what uh, is going on in our neighborhood and how they can uh, uh, spread the uh, design ideas to other communities. I think what's been holding it up the most is just builders are reluctant to train up their people to be able to build these kind of houses. All right. I want to go back to something I heard you say that I want to make sure my audience caught. You said goat moving. Yeah, the goat moving. We have five goats, uh, and those goats keep our weeds from getting out of control in the undeveloped area where uh, we're going to be standing into. So uh, the kids named the goats, and uh, we've been moving the goats from one patch of land to the next every month after they finish up the uh, weeds that are within the uh, fenced area that we have for them. Now, it sounds like the goats are primarily there for uh, lawn maintenance. Um, are there elements of the community that focus on agriculture, on food production? Uh, no, it's not for agriculture production. Uh, it's just to keep the weeds from getting out of control. However, we do have a community garden that uh, we just started a couple summers ago. All right. Very good. So I am curious, back to Exxon. While you were there, was there any conversation among employees or, or even more interestingly, among those higher up uh, regarding the Dakota Access Pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline, Line 3? Any, any conversation about those that you remember that would be of interest to our audience? No, no. Um, the, the most that uh, I would hear from management about uh, our climate change policies was at the employee forums. And uh, they wouldn't talk about things that were controversial. They would just talk about uh, things that we're doing at our own sites to reduce emissions and uh, our overall goals for reducing our own emissions, but uh, not about the pipelines and not mm -hmm. about uh, okay. dirty tar sands. Let me ask you the, the big question, the big picture. Is it too late to stop runaway climate change, are we at the point where it's going to be more than we can, more than we can manage? Yeah, the uh, uh, it was a few years ago that um, our former ExxonMobil CEO said that uh, climate change was an engineering problem, which he implied that uh, we could just engineer our way out of these problems later on without uh, um, just taking pre preventative action and preventing the carbon emissions in the first place. Uh, but um, the latest IPCC reports mention the phrase irreversible damage, meaning that uh, uh, we're getting to the point where uh, there's no amount of engineering that could undamage. Yeah. And so that indicates, of course, that we should get off fossil fuels as quickly as possible. But beyond that, mitigation about uh, adaptation. And that, that looks to me, when I want to hear about your uh, net zero community, that's an example, I think, of what more and more, gonna, more and more people are going to have to do in terms of trying to adapt to the, yes. the, to the uh, worsening impacts of climate change. Yes, I, I think a very good example is what happened to my mother, who is still living in the Houston area, just last week with the Texas power outages. Um, the extreme winter weather that uh, hit Texas was uh, very unexpected and uh, at record levels. Uh, but there were warning signs 10 years ago when a similar freeze had happened and uh, put many people out of power at that time. Uh, and the adaptation that needed to happen was winterizing the equipment, making sure that the uh, 
the pipelines wouldn't freeze and the instruments wouldn't freeze. And ironically, the plants that were most affected were the natural gas and uh, nuclear and, and coal plants. Hmm. Well, that's an excellent segue, uh, Don, uh, because we are going to be talking with Dr. Charles Goldman next about the uh, situation in Texas. So, Darlan, I really thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Folks, we've been talking to Darlan Chang. He's a former uh, engineer with Exxon. He is uh, retired from that work and devoting his time to climate activism. Uh, you can read a great story about him in the Inside Climate News uh, uh, publication that came out, what was this, about a week or two ago? Yes. Yeah. Inside Climate News. Good resource. Anyway, Darlan, thank you so much for joining us. And folks, when we come back, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman's with us here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. to our business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or call Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, as we move on to a conversation with Dr. Charles Goldman. So, you know, they used to say don't mess with Texas, but it looks like Texas has created its own mess. Um, I mean, my heart goes out to the people who are affected. Well, absolutely. I mean, they had an NPR piece on, like, you know, hospitals that are trying to deal with having had no water, um, you know, collecting rainwater to use and things like that. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's very frightening yeah. uh, when you realize how dependent we are as a civilization obviously, on, on electricity and yeah. the availability of it. Frightening and, um, and not entirely unpredicted. I mean, they, they, they had a taste of real winter not too long ago, and this was real winter on steroids. <laughs> right. It, it was about as severe as the winters we're used to up here in the north, and we don't have our wind turbines freezing up. We don't have well, our natural gas lines not working. Right, and, and, and I think it's interesting to sort of see how the conversation about this you know, morphed. Obviously, the, the, the first uh, refuge was, of course, to blame renewables and the Green New Deal uh, on Fox News. But that, that was, Ab, you know, Governor Abbott's uh, interview was clearly scripted by his oil and gas contributors. Um, but I got to say, weren't you impressed with how fast the forces of fossil fuel evil moved to 
to to define the narrative to get their message well, out that's there. Well, that's been the case. That's been the case with with all natural disasters. Don't don't forget that you know one of the problems that TNG, uh, not TNG, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, you know, was spouting was that the fires had you know covered the solar panels with ash and made them less you know efficient. There wasn't the fact that like half of their gas powered you know plants went offline during the fires, right. but. But they're, they're, um, they're, no, they're, they're actually, very good at it. They're very good at getting that message out there right away. Right. But what's really interesting is I would I would posit a, a, a different view of this, which is that this actually is a lesson on deregulation. Um, because the market in, in Texas for electricity is a completely deregulated market. Uh, deregulation, by the way, that was supported by both uh, Democrats and Republicans when it came into play, right. into being about 10, 15 years ago. Right. And – the purpose was to basically drive out uh, inefficient producers of electricity from the market, which it did. It, it essentially shut down coal as a player in Texas. And in Texas, the predominant uh, production modalities are um, natural well, – the predominant modality is natural gas. And But the problem is that when you deregulate, then how do you sell the electricity to the consumer? Right. Based on how cheap can you make it, and what gets what gets you know, what happens in a deregulated environment when you know the race to the bottom occurs? Yeah, you cut well, corners, cut costs. You cut corners. That's yeah. right. So instead of buying the deicer packs for their windmills, you know, which we obviously have here, and they obviously have in Antarctica where they use windmills, and they obviously have in Scandinavian countries where windmills produce you know fifty uh, percent of the electric, um, they didn't want to buy them. And when they were told, as they, as you know, you know, about 10 years ago, that they needed to move the uh, pumps and the controllers for the natural gas pipelines inside or in somehow insulate them so you, you know, allow them to function if the temperature got below 50, hmm. um, they decided they didn't want to do it. Right. So, you know, this is, this, this is a real lesson. In, 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 and this is notorious. The, the United States has become notorious for letting its infrastructure just deteriorate. And the reason it has it deteriorates is nobody wants to pay the bills. Nobody wants to pay higher taxes to maintain things. Nobody wants to pay higher electric bills to maintain things. And this is the end result. The end result is that, as you said, it was predictable. And the stupidity of blaming the windmills and solar panels for it was ludicrous. It, well, it, you know, and of course, what else happens down in Texas? They build houses. I love when they refer to this in the article that I've been looking at. They build houses to vent heat during the summer. Now, what does that mean to you? Well, that that sounds really good in the summer. <laughs> right. It means, of course, you build cheap ass houses, expensively priced, with no insulation, so that the heat from the inside leaks out. Right. And you know it's an electric it's an electric grid totally set up for air conditioning, and it doesn't take into account that there is winter, yeah. and yeah. that the winters down there are going to be more and more like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows for sure? I mean, the the polar vortex is, and I've been studying the science on this a bit, and they are pretty sure that what's happening is a creature of climate change. That the uh, the um, the jet stream is is weakening, pushing that cold polar air south. But they're not a hundred percent sure. And still, as as conditions in the Arctic get even worse, as warming continues, as ice cover you know depletes, as methane is released, you know I I don't know what the future looks like. 
this might not this might not be what we should expect in 10 or 20 years, but it's certainly it's something you should prepare for next year and the year after. But long haul, well, I, don't, I don't know if this is the new normal or just a temporary a transition into a, an even less desirable new normal. Well, I think that that the the situation which led us to have you know days and days of sub-zero temperatures as a high was a warming front, a warm front over the Arctic, which right. is, yeah, right, push the polar vortex further south. I don't see anything that would predict that that is not going to happen routinely for the very reasons you're talking about, which is one thing ice does very well is reflect the sun back. Yeah, what I'm saying, I'm saying it'll happen for a while, but as the sun, as, yeah. as the ice gets less and less, and that reflection of the sun back into space gets, you know, become, becomes nominal or non-existent, right. then you and might the, not see a polar vortex. The Arctic is going to warm. The we, Arctic is going to warm. Yeah, we, 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 we might see crazy warm winters even here in Iowa. I don't know. It's hard to know. But the bottom line is right. they should expect this next year. They should be prepared for it next year. But will they actually well, I agree. invest in I the I agree, but I, 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 do think you, I do think, you know, this is, this, is, this is the United States writ large. Rich people don't want to pay taxes. Right. And, and corporations don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes and either, Charles. No one wants to pay taxes. But the problem is, so who's going to bail out these people in Texas now? Well, I thought Texas wanted to go out on its own. Well, of course, that's what they, they, they'll talk about that. But that's not going to happen. The money's going to come from, uh, from right. taxpayers elsewhere, of right. course. Yeah. Well, it already is. Now, um, I'm fascinated by <laughs> some, I, sometimes some, some people just uh, have a way of um, saying things. This, this Texas mayor who was basically forced to resign after telling residents of the town that he was mayor of to get off your ASS and take care of your own family. <laughs> no one owes it to you or your family anything, nor is it the local government's responsibility to support you during trying times like this. Sink or swim, it's your choice. Oh, that would be a great campaign slogan. Well, Sink or you know, swim, it's a, your choice. Vote he's Goldman. A, he's, a tr- he's, a, he's a true conservative, right? Limited <laughs> government. <laughs> you know, that's what, I mean, that's theoretically what yeah. they want, right? Yeah. I'm sure yeah. your libertarian friend would be perfectly fine with that statement. Oh, I doubt it, actually. I think, I think, I think uh, well, and this is a totally heartless libertarian, but I mean, yeah. a libertarian with some conscience would find that a little bit hard to stomach. I mean, a campaign slogan, vote for me, sink or swim, it's your choice. <laughs> so, Well, you know, again... The, the problem we have in the United States is that everyone wants to spend their own money on what they want to spend their own money on and have somebody else pay for what they need. We see that in the healthcare arena. We see that in the infrastructure arena. And it, it, it's the politics of grievance and selfishness, you know. And But eventually, you have to pay anyway, you know. And unfortunately, people pay with their lives. Yep. And that, that has been not. A heck of a lot of suffering in Texas, and again, I do feel bad about that. I know everybody does. Hey, Charles, i got to run to a short break. Uh, we're going to switch gears here. and Instead of talking about uh, the polar vortex, let's talk about the recent passing of Rush Limbaugh. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. 
Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the heart of America's heartland. Thanks to all of our partners who helped make this program possible, including Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Klipsham offers planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from green bins. Architecture by Synthesis. All right, welcome back to the program. And again, welcome Charles Goldman back to the conversation. You know, Charles, you're one of the few people I know who would go on a diet of only listening to Fox News or watching Fox News for a week. And I'm wondering if you had ever conducted a similar dietary experience uh, when it comes to radio. Did you ever just listen to Rush Limbaugh for a week? You know, I must have at some point, because um, you know he got his start out in Sacramento. Um, right. You know, I lived out. I lived out in Davis for about a decade, and um, but now I, I would say I've listened to Fox more than I I listened to Rush. You know, and it's really kind of interesting. I would I would say you know one thing about Rush Limbaugh is that he essentially got consumed in many ways by what he engendered. Uh, there's no question that his influence in terms of creating a, a space for what initially were conservative views and what became nothing but chilling for the, you know, the, the, the fanatical Republican um, is what, you know, created that space for numerous other commentators and um, eventually Fox News. But he eventually, I, I would say, got consumed by it because in his later, I would say, decade or more, he was really no different than Fox News. Um, he was no longer really talking about conservatism. He was simply talking Republican talking points and, you know, carrying on his endless tirade against Hillary Clinton. Which is fascinating. Uh, you know, that, that's the most fascinating thing about uh, Limbaugh to me and, 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 and uh, talk radio generally is it was made possible by Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is the president who signed the Telecommunications Act in 1996 that allow these big corporations like Cumulus, like Clear Channel, to like Sinclair, to own multiple signals in any market and basically dominate the entire so-called public airwaves. And you know, Limbaugh owes Bill Clinton um, a lot of gratitude for helping to create, I mean, Limbaugh was around before. That's correct. It certainly made Limbaugh richer financially, but, by, by having, getting him more outlets. But he was already very influential from the time, you know, of, of you know, Reagan Republicanism, Reagan Republicanism onward. I think that that the the reality is that 
Limbaugh in many ways presaged Trump because oh yes, what Lim what Limbaugh really took off on was as a reaction to feminism, and um, and that's why Hillary Clinton was such a target for him because she represented exactly what his his listenership hated a woman who didn't change her last name, a woman who had an independent career, uh, and stood distinct from her husband. And he really was a man of his times. I mean, the, the glomming on to the issue of being a misogynist, which he, if he wasn't in real life, he certainly was on the radio. He played right. well on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, his racism, which was inescapable, and of course, then... You know, racism in this country always has to include LGBTQ people. So um, he he really presaged Trump, and then he basically got consumed by what the Republican Party became, and he was nothing more than just another spokesman. But, um, but isn't isn't, I mean, isn't, I, isn't it incredible though that the public airways, this, the the public, I keep emphasizing that word. These are airwaves airwaves that we own that we have so little input into, so little control over, there's no balance. I mean, the, the fairness doctrine went out under Reagan, you know. The, the, right. the, the, so, so it's not like Bill Clinton. Would, he was, Bill Clinton was kind of the final nail in the coffin of uh, free airwaves, of uh, balanced airwaves. But, um, you know. Well, well I, the people who've been talking about Limbaugh have said that. Actually, that's, that's exactly right. With the, the fairness doctrine being, uh, you know, pushed aside under, under Reagan, opened a space for someone like Limbaugh to really expand. And, you know, I, I mean, as a, as a talk radio person yourself, and, and you know, as, as you and I both know, you go back to the days when you and I would be on at night on a station that was 95%, 90% conservative, uh, <laughs> there was, you know. There were four, hour, four hours a day of uh, progressive talk uh, right. in, a, in a sea of otherwise solid – solid right wing talk and uh, and that was unusual that was really rare to have any 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 progressive voices on any big station and we we covered 33 counties you know mm -hmm. well you know the thing about Limbaugh <laughs> is when you compare him to some of the other people we you know we would share the station with you know like uh Savage and well we bumped you know, Savage Mark, off <laughs> right Mark Mark Levin, Levin yeah. uh, and Hannity yeah. I, you know I mean Limbaugh was entertaining I mean, not necessarily in the sense of some of the things he said, which were reprehensible, but he was entertaining. I mean, he, he, did, he did, in fact, have the same feel that Trump had for people who are, you know, seeing themselves as persecuted, being left behind by the demographic and the cultural changes. And, and he, he wasn't articulate in the way that other conservatives were in terms of having like, you know, quoting you know, Thomas Paine and others. But he, he <laughs> did really have a sense for how to speak to his audience. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I, you have to admire him for that. I mean, what he said. I, I admire that, but otherwise, I think his legacy is is uh, it's it's one of the worst legacies any American could ever hope to be attached to. I mean, the amount of hatred and division, and even who knows how many people went out there and did something horrible—a school shooting. I, I'm not making this up. I mean, people go out there and do terrible things because of stuff they hear from people like Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, it is. Well, I, but, but you, I, you need to be careful making that argument, obviously, because this is the whole issue of what is protected right. speech. Yeah, you know, and um, I, I mean, who who do you think is worse? I mean, I, I find Hannity and Carlson far more odious 
in what in, in what they have engendered than Limbaugh in any way. They have become worse, but I, I and I think part yeah. of it is it's a it's a, again it's a different type of race to the bottom just to try to out uh, you know out um, out shock the other shock jocks you know to say something more. Mm-hmm. Off the wall. I mean, Limbaugh was really good about saying ridiculous things and somehow getting away with it. I mean, saying to that African American uh, woman who called, "Take that bone out of your nose and call me back," and right. to, to say that and still have a job. <laughs> I mean, to say I, let stupid and unskilled Mexicans do that work, to say that and still have a job. I mean, it, it is astounding what he was able to get away with. And again, if we still had a fairness doctrine. If we did not have the Telecommunications Act of 96, he probably wouldn't, he and anybody else would probably not be able to get away with that. Oh, no. I mean, before before Limbaugh, these voices were on UHF stations at 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. You know, and you had to use that little round antenna on the back of your TV to find them. Yeah, I, had, know, I had one of those. It was a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's, there's no question about it. that, um, And it just shows you how in, in 50 years or so, how the... The, the radio landscape has changed. You know, and, it, is, it is shocking to me that uh, the Democratic politicians and the Democratic Party and a Democratic Congress doesn't talk about reforming the public airwaves to restoring some balance, to restoring uh, requirements that don't, that don't allow a big corporation to own the entire market. I, I just cannot believe that's not high on the Democratic Party's agenda. It's <laughs> just given how, how biased the whole thing has become. Well, and that's the argument that, you know, I was reading like Ben Shapiro writing on Limbaugh and there was another, you know, some stuff in the, in the, the register on Sunday. You know, and, and that's the argument that the conservatives were making is that Limbaugh's greatness was, you know, taking away the airways that were dominated by the liberals and the mainstream media and, and finding a space for their yeah. views. So I, 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 I do agree with you that, um, we do need to. More importantly, I think than the than anything else is is not allowing the monopoly to occur in in larger and medium sized cities in this country. Right. Yeah, whether the um, monopoly is left or politi- political left or right, there should be no monopoly. It should be correct. balanced. It should be that's right. It should be a range of programming. And you know, when you start doing that, you start cutting out the extremes. I mean, I can't imagine that any radio station in Europe would ever broadcast a a perspective like that of Limbaugh's. Not unless he was naked on screen. Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but I'll... <laughs> well, because the European the Europeans have no problem with sexuality as part of their mass media. They have a big problem with anything that they see as either depicting violence in a favorable manner or engendering violence. Yeah, you yeah. know, and that 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 is their cultures are so different from ours in that regard. Yeah. You know, they they wouldn't show like that show with Chuck Norris in parts of Europe, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, because they felt it was too violent. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that was on family time here in the United States. <laughs> so, <laughs> was it really? I, 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 this is, these are the things I miss with not having a television. Oh, well. Right. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, I just think that it, it's unfortunately come to a point, and this goes back to what we were talking about previously, but the Texas scenario, I mean, Tucker Carlson actually had a whole monologue before talking about how the Green New Deal is what you know created the problem, talking about how there are people on TV who are just lying so blatantly to you, you know, and that you'd be a fool to listen to them. Well, you know something? That was actually his defense 
in a, <laughs> a defamation suit in New York, which he won, which was everybody knows I'm lying and the things I say are so ridiculous that anybody who believes them is a fool. That was his defense, and he won. <laughs> you know, Astounding. All right. See, that's, well, I mean, that's why I find Carlson even more odious. Yeah, well, yeah. I get it. Charles, i got to run to a break. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to join us again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. <clears throat> Folks, when we come back, Kathy Burns will be talking about your February garden Q&A. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Say thanks to our local business partners, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Market and Cafe. That's my local, locally owned grocery store. And also the cafe is open seven days a week for uh, lunch and supper. And also on the weekends for breakfast and or brunch. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Hey, thanks to uh, Kathy Burns for joining us again today. We're going to be uh, doing our February Garden Q&A. And February is almost over. Right. We're getting close. So we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about this week. But the, the garden pages on Facebook and maybe some others are just all about what should I plant? I'm starting seeds. And, you know, it's just a busy time. People are realizing that spring is around the corner. So... Uh, somebody asked about raised beds, and Ed, we've talked about this before. It's kind of one of our pet peeves. One of the responses she got about raised beds, besides, you know, not don't make them wider than four feet wide so you can reach across from both sides, all those good suggestions. Somebody suggested to line the bottom with landscape fabric. No. No. Don't do it. No. Don't, don't do that. Don't ever do it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what people are thinking. Yeah, we, we've been, we've been uh, trying to um, deal with one bed, actually two beds that have landscape fabric in the bottom, and uh, it's just a mess. You've got the stakes, you've got the uh, fabric, sometimes there's even some, some wire mesh down mm -hmm. in there. I know the theory is that, well, it'll keep weeds from growing through. No, weeds will find a way. They, <laughs> they, they will come. They will come do. after you. They will get you one way or the other, landscape fabric or not. And the advantage of not having it is you get that mm, depth. Deep, deep, deep. And don't lay the landscape fabric down. In fact, when you put your bed on the raw ground, turn that soil at least a couple times or once or twice and um, then put your, your um, garden soil, your compost, and all the other goodies in there for your plants. So no landscape fabric. No. In fact, 
for nothing. Don't ever, <laughs> don't ever use it. Um, here's a question someone had. I'm going to I'm going to read the question. Okay, Iowans, I want to know about your water. Do you filter your water before watering the plants, or just use straight from the faucet or hose? I know Iowa has nitrates in its water, so I'm asking if this has been detrimental to certain plants. That's a really good question. Mm. And um, our thoughts are that it, it kind of depends on how much watering you have to do and how much time you have to do it. We could never use any water that is not just mm. from our hose to water outside. We have we're watering a lot in the summer, several hours a day. And it might depend on where you get your water from. A rural water system is mm-hmm. is probably as uh, as, as clean and treated as a, as a uh, water system like the Des Moines Water Works. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not excited about all the nitrates in our water here in Iowa, but I will say the Des Moines Water Works does a fine job at removing all that junk. At great um, cost. At great cost. <laughs> I mean, we have, the, what, the most uh, elaborate and expensive nitrate removal system in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe that's true. Which is sad. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, but... Um, I think the final product is certainly safe to drink and uh, certainly safe for your plants. So, Well, also, um, some folks had some helpful workarounds because they have rain barrels, and we'd like to get one going. We mm. haven't uh, been able to take that step yet. Um, too much else to do. Rain but barrels, um, also, <clears throat> the, some folks are also reminding people, don't use water from your house if you have water softened water, in other words, a lot of salt in that water hmm. to soften it. That's a good suggestion. I like that. Another question, uh, I like to expose my plants to as much of the outdoors before I transplant them. What temperatures should I wait for in doing this for cabbage, green peppers, tomatoes, eggplant? And, you know, um, there's a process that this um, poster may want to know about called hardening off. Yeah, hardening off is, uh, well, it's just adaptation, just getting used to the conditions. I mean, think about the warm, pleasant, you know, uh, homey atmosphere of your basement, wherever your plants are growing. Ours are in the basement. Mm-hmm. And the basic formula is an hour a day. So put them out the first day for an hour, second day, two hours, third day, three hours. And by the end of a week, in theory, they'll have adjusted enough to the outdoor elements. But again, they're trying to adjust to heat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, not, well, heat and cold, temperature shifts. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to adjust the sunlight. The sunlight is a big, that's probably the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, wind and other climatic uh, impacts. Uh, I mean, we have a fan on our plants, but that's nothing like a derecho. <laughs> Something you can do right is to put a gentle fan on your plants when they are still in their seedling stage in the house. And uh, they, they, build a stronger cellular structure in the stems working back against that holding up to that gentle breeze so um yeah don't just throw them outside that's kind of like if you decide you want some exercise and you run a marathon (laughs) one day instead of uh learning learning about just some some stretching and walking and some things to do i'd say you know the hardening up process can take as much as two weeks because obviously if you if you've been bringing it outside on sunny days and suddenly you've got really, really bad, cloudy, rainy, windy weather, then you're going to have to extend it a bit. Hardening off is one of the topics that we covered extensively in our first workshop of Birds and Bees Urban Farm workshops this year, and that was the Start Seeds at Home workshop Mm. and also our introductory year-long workshop or our nine-month course. Um, Folks were pretty excited to hear that uh, there was a way to make sure their plants stayed strong and healthy once they were 
thrown to the great outdoors. So yeah, the stronger and healthier they are when they go in the ground, the more likely they'll be able to resist disease and insects. So. Something else I learned, speaking of those workshops, um, well, I didn't learn it. I know this, but it reminded me, when you're talking about plants to people and, and when you're ready to, uh, to discuss these things with folks, use language that people understand. So if you say, oh, you have to harden off your plants first, they won't have a clue what you mean. But um, anyway, try to help people along. If you're someone who's really um, a mentor type, use language that folks understand. Yeah, very good. Hey, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Des Moines. Thanks to our guests today, Joel Curtinitis, Darlon Chang, Charles Goldman, and of course, Kathy Burns. And also thanks to our production squad of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns. Thanks also to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, a Noche Jazz and Cabaret, and Ritual Cafe. And please subscribe to the Fallon Forum on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and you can listen, of course, to the program on various radio stations in Iowa and around the country. Thanks again for being a part of this alternative to the shock jocks. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. <laughs>